Welcome to Kitchen Table Magic. I'm your host, Sam Tang. Each episode, I sit down with an inspiring person from the magic community. We hang out on their kitchen table to talk about Magic the Gathering as they share stories from the journey of their lives. This is episode 10. I'm talking to pro player Jerry Thompson. Jerry and I met when he was in Seattle working for Wizards R&D. He's been on the pro scene since 2003, with a pro tour top eight and two Grand Prix wins to his name. Jerry is also consistently at the top of the SDG Tour leaderboards. Jerry is an active writer for StarCityGames.com as he shares weekly knowledge with video deck techs and articles. In this interview, Jerry shares with us how he got started and imparts some words of wisdom about how to improve. We recorded this interview the second week of June 2016. I hope you enjoy this episode of Kitchen Table Magic with Jerry Thompson. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us here on Kitchen Table Magic. I am here with the wonderful Jerry Thompson. Jerry, how are you? I'm doing well, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. You posted an amazing result this weekend at the SEG Open Atlanta. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I've... <laughs> so I have this thing where if I go undefeated on the first day of a tournament, generally those are not the tournaments where I, I don't make coffee. Uh-huh. So throughout, I think, four Grand Prix, one Open, and one Invitational, I have been X and O after day one, and I did not make coffee in either of those tournaments. Uh-huh. So I've made green-white tokens. I finished 9 on day one, and it's been a running joke that, uh, you know, I should just concede the last round or whatever, because I'm, like, more likely to make top eight if I'm not undefeated. Right. This time, I was like, I just want to break that curse, and I'm going to try my damnedest and see what happens, and sure enough, I did. I went 15-0 through the Swiss rounds, uh, eventually lost in top four to my good friend Tom Ross, but it was a hell of a run, and the curse is broken. That's amazing. The curse is broken, and technically speaking, you went 16-0, and right? True, yeah. I mean, 16-1 overall, you know, which is certainly not bad. Uh, yeah. Some people would, would like to point out that I also had two buys, you know, so that's a little bit of a help there, so... You know, kind of 14 at some point. Got it. Other than you, this has never been done in SCG Open in the past. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty good at that. For a while, I was the only person who had won both Opens in, or, well, forever, I guess. I was the only person who had won both Opens in a weekend back when they used to just be one-day events. Uh-huh. And there were a lot of people that got close to that, but no one ever actually tied my record. And for this one, I was just like, man, I want to, I want to be the person who goes 18, you know, but, uh, I'll have to settle for just like that undefeated Swiss record, which, yeah, no one has ever done yet. So it's cool. You are in a very elite group of players who have done that. I think, I think Luis Scott Vargas went 15 and 0 at a pro tour. He did. Uh, it was the same sort of deal. He, I think the Swiss round, I think they had 16 total Swiss rounds. So he might have been 17 and one total, but he, he also lost in the semifinals as I did. But also, like, he was playing in a pro tour, not an open, which is a much more difficult tournament. Uh-huh. Nonetheless, your achievement is is quite amazing, and you have been working very hard, and we're going to talk all about that. So congratulations on that again. Thank you. Jerry, I just wanted to start from the beginning. Where did you grow up, and when did you start playing Magic? So I was born in a smallish town called Elk River. It's 45 minutes north of the Twin Cities in Minnesota. Basically, like, when I started working when I was a kid, I, I had this co-worker who was in my grade, and we were trying to find some common ground, and we would just name things back and forth, and eventually he was like, oh, I play Magic Gathering, and I was like, hey, I have some of those cards. Uh, I, I never actually had anyone to play with, but they looked cool, so I bought a couple booster packs, you know, and they just sat in, like, a shoebox under my bed, and then he just taught me to play. He he built me a deck. He was, like, he was kind of my mentor. He 
taught me about things like card advantage. He took me to my first tournament, and he is very much responsible for me playing Magic at all. Very cool. Uh, I think Mercadian Masks was the newest set, and I played some local tournaments that were not sanctioned maybe like six months after that, but my first sanctioned event was the Invasion pre-release. Oh, very cool. I started playing in uh, Urza Saga, and I had a family friend that dumped a whole bunch of old Magic cards for me, like from like Tempest and Exodus and like 4th Edition and stuff like that. And then I... Uh, nice. Yeah, I cat-sit for a lady, and she did packaging for Wizards of the Coast, so she just had a bunch of sample products, so she was like, here, I'm going to pay you in $20 bills and like Urza Saga boosters, but she was like, don't tell anyone, because this set's not out yet. I was like, sick. <laughs> but it's not like I knew what was going on, because I've never played the game before, so I I opened them all up. My first rare was uh, Sarah Sanctum. And I was like, ooh, look at this thing. Um, I still have it. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. You still have the, the first Sarah Sanctum? Yes, I still have that. That's insane. I covet that. Yeah, I, ha- I opened that. And I also opened a Phyrexian processor. And I still have that too. That was the old Ron Spears like artwork. Yeah, yeah. No, that's really cool. I, I've like you know, lost cards and traded cards and sold cards and stuff. I, I basically, like, have nothing from that. And it would be really cool to have some of that stuff. So that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I've lugged it around for, like, 20 years. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, it's pretty cool. Jared, what formats do you play? So, being a professional Magic player, I, I'm playing Magic almost every weekend in tournaments. So, it is basically whatever tournament is coming up. Like, that's the format that I play. Uh-huh. But uh, I, I do enjoy Legacy a lot. and most of the time, I'm not playing at local tournaments during the week, but when I was living in Seattle, which is, you know, where I met you, there there was a really good local legacy scene, and I just, like, couldn't get enough. I played, like, most Thursdays when I could. Oh, yeah. That was, yeah, there's a pretty decent eternal scene up here, and uh, during that time, my thought process when I saw you, well, I was just like well, you've got to be kidding me. That's like Jerry Thompson. What is he doing here? And so I was just like, hey, how's it going? And I asked you some like gameplay advice. And like, you know, you're like such a gentleman and a scholar. You were like stellar, like shook my hand and I was cool. And then um, <laughs> and then the funny thing is I, I saw you at GP Vancouver. This was just earlier in the winter, like January, something like that. Saw you in GP yeah. Vancouver. And we we're like, hey, how's it going? And and then we talked a little bit more about Seal. That was, I think, Oath of the Gatewatch, right? It was like Battle for Zendikar, Oath of the Gatewatch, Sealed. Mm-hmm. And, and the funny thing about that was like I, I asked you, I was just like, "What uh, deck are you playing?" You're like, "Oh yeah, I'm playing black white. You know, good curve, good removal, like best removal stuff like that." And I looked at that, and I was like, "That's the one I'm playing." And I was like, "I was like, what do you got?" You're like, "Yeah, I think I'm like four and zero or something." And I was like, "Oh no, man, I'm like one and three. <laughs> I'm like one three one. <laughs> I had like two draws, like something terrible." And you were like, "Yeah, no, man, you're keep, just keep at it. You're good." I think I think Brian Boundoon's also playing this, but oh, you're good. <laughs> so I learned a lot, and I, I really like learned. I was like, wow, you know, like magic is an incredibly deep game. Sometimes it's about the cards, sometimes it's not. So that was like kind of funny. Like I never shared that with you, but that was just like kind of funny. <laughs> that's cool, man. I, I appreciate the kind words. I, I like meeting people. You know, that's part of the thing I love about this game. So it's like, you know, people see me hanging out at a tournament. And it's like they're they're like scared to come talk to me, and I just don't get it. You know, because I'm just a dude. But yeah, I I do want I do understand. I get it. It can be like kind of intimidating because it's like you know my face is like on the internet. People are like streaming me and stuff. But uh, I I am just a dude. I like to talk about magic. I like to meet new friends. Like if 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 magic didn't exist, you know, like I I don't know where I would be in my life, and I don't know who I would be friends with. Like all of my friends are from magic. Just like these these people that I care so much about, and it's like. 
all these people that live in different places and stuff. And if, if like I didn't talk to them randomly or they didn't talk to me, you know, like we, we just never would have met. So, uh, I, I really do just appreciate just getting to meet new people. That's very cool. Jerry, can you tell us about your first pro tour qualification? Yeah. So, uh, I, I lived in Minnesota and basically like right from the start, I was trying to play in tournaments. Like one, one of my friends told me that there were tournaments because I just didn't know. Like I, I didn't have an internet connection or computer or anything. And he was like, Hey, we should go to a tournament. I was like, no way. That sounds great. And then I heard about like the pro tour and PTQs and stuff like that. And we, we just started going to them. And the first one I won was actually a team tournament in Lincoln, Nebraska. And I was pushing like all, all the random kids I met playing magic. Like, uh, to go to these PTQs with me and stuff. And there, there weren't a lot of people like in my town that played magic. There was not a store in my town. Like if I wanted to play FNM, I had to drive like 45 minutes. Uh huh. Uh, so it, it was kind of tough, but I did get to meet a lot, a lot of cool, smart people. And so I teamed with a kid who was a little bit younger than me and then a guy who was a little bit older than me and was the guy that, uh, gave me rides most places. So like Tim Bulger's the young kid, Ken Burrell's like the, the older guy. And we go to this PTQ in Nebraska that's like six hours away. <laughs> and yeah, back then we were, we were willing to drive anything that was like eight to 10 hours. You wow. know, like we, we just, we just had the fire. We wanted to play some magic. We wanted to try and qualify. And yeah, we just, uh, kind of like crushed this team seal tournament and it was really cool. And in the finals, I played against Scott Lift, who is like, he, he took a break for a while, but now he's back and like he's a gold level pro. And it's like, I've, I've just known him for 15 years because of that PPQ. So cool. Uh, so yeah, we qualified for a pro tour in Boston. We got to stay at Tim's uncle's house because his family is from there. So that was awesome. You know, he gets like this mini vacation where he gets to visit his family. And then we, we play in the pro tour. We, we make day two, but, uh, we basically like lost all of our rounds after that, but it was still cool to like day two your first pro tour, you know? And then, uh, they used to have more PTQs on Sundays at Pro Tours, and I won the PTQ that was on Sunday at the Pro Tour, so I just like immediately qualified for the next Pro Tour. That is so cool. Um, which Pro Tour was it? You said it was in Boston? Like, what year or what set was it? Uh, I think it was 2002. It was full Odyssey Block, Team Limited. It was Odyssey Block. Yep. That's amazing. Yeah. Like, you're, like, you're, you definitely picked up the game. You definitely had a knack for the game. Like, that is amazing. Well, like I said, I had a really good teacher. Like, he, he, my, my friend Adam, who got me into the game, had already played for quite a while. I don't, I honestly don't even know when he started, but he was very well read. He was checking out, like, the old websites and looking at deck lists and, like, reading strategy articles and stuff. Like, he was as immersed in the game as I became. Yeah. And we were both, like, pretty excited to just, like, play tournaments and, you know, see what we could do and stuff. And we were always trying, like, new decks and, like, doing a lot of playtesting and stuff like that. So he, he just caught me up to speed really quickly because I, I feel like without him, I would have maybe been able to get to the place where I'm at, but it would have taken me much longer. And then also, right when Odyssey came out was when I started playing Magic Online. And I started doing a bunch of drafting and, and playing Constructed, like once I had enough tickets to buy a, a complete deck and stuff. So uh between just like playing a lot locally, having really good friends, consuming a lot of content, reading a lot of articles, and playing a lot of Magic Online, yeah, I, I qualified maybe like a year and a half after my first tournament, which is a, a pretty short turnaround, I think. That is really cool. So was there a distinct moment when you felt like you had leveled up? Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know. Uh, I, I definitely remember going to tournaments and just getting crushed and just going uh -huh. home and being like, <laughs> I don't want this to happen again. You know, like the things that happened were within my control. Like maybe if my death was a little bit differently, like I definitely could be a guy or like, 
I made this mistake, which cost me this match against this guy. And all those things were like learning devices for me. And I, I just made sure to basically never make the same mistake twice. And I, I actually, I can't even remember like, you know, like winning my first tournament or anything like that. Like that, those moments don't stand out to me, but like, obviously there had to be a first one, right? Right. But yeah, I, I, I can't ever remember feeling like, oh, like this is it, you know, maybe, maybe I have a shot. Maybe, maybe I guess it could have been like when I top eight in my first PTQ. That was at the end of Invasion Block constructed and I lost around one of the tournaments but I, I felt like my deck was pretty good and you know I won a bunch of rounds in a row ended up being able to draw into the top eight and uh, I guess the funny thing about that was like going into these tournaments my goal was always to make the top eight uh-huh. not to win not to win because winning just felt like kind of out of my reach but I was like I'm probably good enough to make top eight and back then the judge just like came over with my prize like everyone in top eight got a sealed booster box so he said down my booster box and you got like a nice little pin this is like two top eight or and they had that on top of the box and all i was thinking about was just like cracking the pack from the way home uh-huh. you know i i was just like not even involved in the tournament anymore at that point i made a, a big series of mistakes i played a medley mage named a card that wasn't even in my opponent's deck and just like lost very quickly and maybe that was it maybe it was like the turning point for me where I was like not satisfied with only making top eight anymore because at that point it was pretty clear that I could make top eight but I was like well I'm pretty sure if I can top eight I can also win so let's try doing it. Oh interesting. I think you are a player that is very self-aware. You're thinking about what you could have done in the tournament, you're thinking about how you lost and then you kind of use those feelings and you really use that to empower yourself and push yourself and motivate yourself to achieve this level of excellence listening to you talk about how many PTQs you did win, and then you go to the Pro Tour, you make day two, you don't do that great, but then on Sunday you play in another PTQ and you immediately win that one, qualify for the next one. Like, that's fantastic energy. That's just like a great story. Yeah, I, I, I like to think of myself as self-aware, and if I do something, this is just kind of like a, a personality trait, I guess. If I do something, I don't want to do it kind of half-assed. I don't want to be bad at it, or I don't want to be mediocre. If I'm playing a game with a, a clear winner and a loser, I don't want to be the person that's losing, because I, I guess I don't like to feel stupid, you know? Like, I don't want to play a game and not really know what's going on, or like not know what my strategy is, and especially after playing Magic for this long and for understanding the game as, as well as I think I do at this point, uh, I, I certainly don't want to like just go back in time kind of to a place where I didn't understand, you know? like So when I first started out, it was pretty clear that, you know, I was not as good as some of the people around me and uh, I knew that I could get up to that level or like there was nothing really holding me back. It was just like, you know, you have to practice, you have to learn a bunch of stuff and I had good resources for that. There were a lot of articles out there and a lot of players around me that could help me. And it was just like, you know, what's what's stopping me from getting to the point where I can actually win these tournaments? Yeah. Because I obviously I obviously enjoyed the game a lot and it was a lot of fun. Like even from the very beginning, I was like building decks and, you know, trying to tweak them and trying to bring formats and stuff. Just like had this like really romanticized vision of like the type of things that could happen in Magic. Like what if I just showed up to a tournament with a deck that no one has ever seen before and just crushed everyone? Like that sort of thing. It's like the only thing that is stopping me from doing that is me. I think every Magic player has that dream of preparing for a particular standard, but showing up with a brew, that's like the holy grail, right? Like coming up with your own thing and just going and just crushing. Yeah, just straight up breaking the format. And then everyone knows your name, everyone's copying your deck list. And like, that's super cool because, you know, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, right? So it's just like all these people are trying to emulate what you already did. 
and you did it before anyone else. Like that, that is like a little, that is like the best thing that you can do in magic. But at the same time, it's so rare. It happens like once every two or three years, if that. Yeah. It, it, it is tough, but if, if you want to, you know, break it down and romanticize it, it's like that stuff could happen and it's only going to happen if you work hard. You know, you're not going to stumble into it. You interned for Wizards for a little bit. What was that like? Uh, it, it was good. But the the downside was always I, I could not play competitive magic anymore. Oh. Because the, the Wizards employees are not allowed to play in like Grand Prix and Pro Tour and stuff, which makes sense because typically they've had a, ha- a hand in like developing the sets and they've play tested with these cards like months before everyone else. So it would just be unfair for you to have a Pro Tour a couple of weeks after the set comes out and have this person who is like known about these cards for like two years, right? Yeah. That all makes sense, but and for me, I thought I thought I could handle it. For me, I thought it was like, oh, you know, if my time in magic is kind of done, let's let's try something else. Uh, I, I always wanted to work on the game, or at least see what it was like, and I certainly don't regret any part of it. Uh, I was surrounded by very smart people. I learned a bunch of stuff. I actually think that being in Wizards R and D like helps me be a better magic player too, and. Just it came time to like renew my contract, and I I just missed playing magic. It, it was just like such a big part of my identity that during those six months, while they were great, I would also just like sit at home and just not know what to do with myself. Yeah, yeah, that was that was pretty much it. I mean, I, I also feel like if there does come another point in my career where I'm like, okay, you know, I'm kind of burned out, I'm playing tournaments or whatever, like I I feel like maybe I could go back there. You know, like the, that door seems like it is open. It, if my choice was you can leave, but you can never come back, you know, I don't know what I would have done. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of greedy. I feel like I, I could probably just do both. So <laughs> it, it's one of those things where like, you know, there's, there's option A, there's option B and someone's like, you know, if you, if you flip a coin to decide which one you're going to do, you know, like once the, the coin is in the air, you know what you're rooting for. Right. Yeah, for for me, it was just like, at that point, I knew very much that, like, right now is, like, I want to be playing back. Like, I am, I'm actually not done with that. I thought I was, but I was wrong. And, you know, that's, that's just a thing that happens, and that was fine. It just made it to, like, you know, I had picked up and moved across the country and stuff. But it's like, hey, that's fixable. I just moved back. So... Uh, now, now I'm back on the East Coast and basically just playing Magic every weekend, doing the same stuff I used to do like 15 years ago, driving eight hours to tournaments occasionally. So, uh, yeah, I, I knew what I wanted to do, and I have not been unhappy with my decision to leave, and hopefully at some point I will get to go back. I don't know if you're under like NDA or anything like that, but can you tell us about kind of like what you worked on? Uh, so I worked on the entirety of Con's block. Oh, wow. So my, yeah, my first day there, Dave Humphreys pulled me into a room and he just gave me the rundown on cons. He's just like, it is a wedge set. You know, there are these three color clans. Uh, these are what they do. These are their names and their effects lines in the set. And then it was just like, here are the printouts of all the cards that are in our, our future, future league, the FFL, where it's just like, they, they try to simulate what standard will look like and try and figure out like what decks people might build and test them against each other and, uh, you know, develop the cards to a point where the format's a lot of fun. And you just, like, go through all these files, build some decks, don't talk to anyone else because we want, like, an outsider's perspective on what this format might look like. Uh-huh. And that was it. That, that was, like, my first couple days was just, like, going through all these cards and building decks. Oh, wow, that's super cool. What were some of the first decks that you built? Uh, the very first one I built was was pretty easy. It was just a Mono Green Devotion deck, which had basically already existed in the previous standard format, but 
there were some cool cards that came out, like Horse or Poofix and It's a World Waker. And at the time, Rattleclaw Mystic was just G for an O1 uh, that, that also morphed, but it was just like, you know, G to flip it over from the 2-2 into the O1. It didn't have to, like, make mana ability. Oh. So it was like, okay, I have eight land worlds. I have this awesome three drop. I have this cool planeswalker. You know, like, this is a pretty easy deck to build. And then the cause was this three-color set. And it was, it was tough for me to like build three color decks like right off the back. So it's just like, you know, what are the mana bases going to look like? And, uh, like what color do I want to be slanted towards and all this stuff? But the green devotion deck was pretty easy to just look at and figure out. So that was, that was definitely the first one I built. That's amazing. If Rattleclaw Mystic stayed as one green with the same morph ability, but then you tapped it and you get teamer, like one of the three teamer, that, that would have been so sick. <laughs> they revised yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we eventually figured out that in uh, in the world where everyone is playing three colors and uh, their, their first and likely second land would enter the battlefield tap, you being on the play with a one-mana mana accelerator did not lead to a lot of very fun gameplay. Oh, wow. So it was like, okay, we probably can't have eight Elvish Mystics in the standard format, so what else should Rattleclaw Mystic do? And they came up with a new design for it and stuff like that. So that was basically my job. Uh, I did a lot of work in the FFL and for cons and Fate Reforged, I did a lot of drafting and stuff. And then uh, for Dragons of Tarkir, they actually put me on the development. Cool. So that entailed just taking a much closer look at the set. And uh, I don't know, It's the, the process is complicated. You know, it involves a lot of meetings, a lot of discussions, and then a lot of playtesting in between that stuff and trying to get like outside opinions from people and like talking about various cards and stuff. It, it was really cool. And unfortunately, uh, the time for my contract to be either like renewed or ended was kind of in the middle of that process. So I ended up leaving actually before Dragons was finished. So I didn't actually get to see that the entire way through, which, you know, I'm kind of sad about. Uh, the set was also just like much different when I left. Uh, I, I know a card like Death Miss Raptor did not exist, for example. Uh huh. But it is it is really cool uh, seeing what they did with the set, and I don't know. It's it's kind of like oh man, you know, like if I was there, would have I had an impact? Uh, these cards where people are complaining about like being too overpowered, like would I figure them out and help fix them? You know, stuff like that. It was like I I had my chance to do that, actually make my mark. But now I'll never know. Huh, interesting. Were you allowed to play competitive magic right after that, or they still were like, nope, you have to still wait until Dragon still gets released and all that other stuff? Yeah, so there were there were some stipulations, so I could play basically any tournament that was not within uh, a month after a set that I worked on was released. So basically, Kazutar Kier com- comes out, it gets officially released, and then I was not allowed to play sanctioned magic for roughly 30-ish days. Mm-hmm. And Generally, all the pro tours fall in that time frame. So the rationale there is that 30 days gives the real world enough chance to catch up with where I would have been with my advanced knowledge of the set. And then and for like the next two months until the next set comes out, they feel like we're on equal footing. Uh-huh. So it was basically, basically like I could not play pro tours until pro tour origins, which was a set that I had not Got it. Because I was looking at all of your like top eights and your tournament standings, and you would basically top eight or win a major tournament like once every year or every other year. And then there was just like this little three to four year period where 
you didn't <laughs> and now i understand why yeah <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're just like man he's fucked during then but like as it as it turned out i also like couldn't play magic for a while that part <laughs> i understand i get it yeah that's why you're like i'm gonna sit on my couch in seattle and play some legacy <laughs> i get <Yeah>. that now. <laughs> that's really funny okay Jerry, I also wanted to talk to you about um, your prominent writing on Star City Games. Here's a little bit of a quiz for you. Do you know how many articles you've written for Star City Games? I have no idea. Well, I counted, and you have written 998 articles. Okay, is this counting, like, all the videos that my name is attached to and, like, all the Daily Digest? I think I did, yes. Okay. How many was it? 900 what? 998. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah. That's an incredibly huge amount of content that you put out. Yeah, that is crazy. I love that. How do you come up with all of that content? Like, where do you get the inspiration to produce it all? So I, I don't do anything else. I don't have a nine to five. Uh, I basically work two days a week as far as like creating content for Star City. And then I play tournaments on the weekend. And other than that, my time is mostly free to do what I please. And I actively choose to spend a lot of my time thinking about and playing magic so uh i don't know my brain just doesn't shut off i'm always thinking about like oh would this deck be good if like i added this card to it or like what if this deck had a better sideboard play or whatever there are all these different formats and all these different cool cards and like new cards are coming out every three months like every time i think that there might be like a lull or something it's just like oh well like you know, here's Nikiri for your modern deck or whatever. And it's like, then I have to go down that rabbit hole. And uh, there's there's just so many things that I can't stop thinking about them. Like, I do do a lot of content. Like, that is certainly true. But at the same time, like, I could almost certainly write two articles a week and just be fine. Uh-huh. And, like, just never run out of content. That's amazing. Do you like doing articles better or videos better? Uh, I'm coming around on videos, but I definitely enjoy writing. Like, you know, some people, they wake up and they're like, oh, man, I have to go to work. This is such a drag. But for me, I'm like, ooh, it's article day. Like, this is a lot of fun. I just genuinely enjoy writing. I don't know what it is. It's also nice for me to just, like, organize my thoughts and get it all on the page and like, try and figure out an outline. Uh, sometimes it's it just like, you know, I'm thinking about magic all the time. There are a lot of thoughts going through my head. But, like, when you organize it and put it on a page, there's, like, this calmness to it, you know, where it's just, like I'm, I'm no longer all over the place. The, the thing is right here, and it's great. And when, when I'm forced to actually think through things and write them on the page where it's just like, okay, so I've been playing this card a lot in my sideboard. And I just, like, know what the staple, but it's like, okay, well, you know, I know that I have to tell the readers why I do that, and then I sit there and think about it, and, you know, I, I just, I'm forced to write it down, and then I just know, you know, and sometimes it happens where I'm just like, oh, I thought this card was a staple, but when I actually think about it and write it down, it's like, oh, that's not, that's not a good card, you know, like, I should just do like something else, you know, so, like, it, it just, like, helps me learn, too. Oh, that is so fascinating what you just said, Jerry, because there is a concept in like meta learning and, you know, uh, knowledge acquisition, things like that, that when you teach somebody else, you learn that particular subject more deeply. Yeah, that's really cool. No, like teaching is one of the things I think that has made me appreciate magic even more. Like way back when I started playing these tournaments, like you couldn't make a living off of just playing magic. But the idea of that was just ludicrous. But uh, eventually it got to the point where, you know, I was like, oh, I want some extra income, so I'll start writing. And then it just got to the point where it's like, oh, well, I can just do this and nothing else, and that's awesome. But, like, before that, it was just like, you know, I, I was super selfish, like, I was young. I, I think that's, like, kind of understandable. It was just like, you know, I, I'm all in it for me. 
basically. And how can I help me succeed? And then it got to a point where I was like, oh, I have these like awesome friends that I met playing next. Like, how can I help them succeed? You know, maybe we should work together. Maybe I can teach them something or they can teach me something. And then it just got to the point where the writing was such a big part of what I was doing in magic. And, you know, people were starting to come up to me in tournaments and say that they like my stuff or, like, they won a tournament because, like, my article helped them or whatever. It's like, oh, this is awesome. Like, this is, this is way better than just me winning a tournament by myself, you know? And... I, I think, like, that is my main motivator to, like, continue playing Magic at this point. It's just, like, teach and help people. I love that sentiment. What do you think contributes to your sustained success? Uh, I, I would say the biggest thing is just how much I want to learn. I'm just, like, very hungry for knowledge. Like, I want to know everything. Not even necessarily because it's useful, but just because I want to know it. I, I don't really know where that comes from, you know? It's like, I don't, I don't want to tell people that I know literally every single thing about Magic the Gathering, but I also know at the same point that, like, that, that'll probably just never happen, you know? Like you were saying, like, the game is so deep, and, like, the, the hole goes down so far, and a lot of things that I've come across in my writing as of lately have just been, like, no, like, every every time I think I I finally, like, get something or whatever, it's just, like, I, I realize how much I don't know, you know? I think that is a big part of it, where it's like, I am I am very eager to learn from my mistakes and, like, seek out my mistakes just to try and learn from them than I think other people might be, just because I, I think I'm finally at a place where uh, my success in magic is not necessarily tied to my self-worth, and my self-worth is actually just, like, you know, my self-improvement, and that is basically what I'm working on. So whenever I go into a tournament and I make some mistakes, like, even if I win the tournament, it doesn't matter. Uh, if I've made some mistakes along the way, you know, like those are things that I can correct. And every mistake I make is an opportunity to learn, basically. And that's all I want to be doing is doing the self-improvement thing. You know, I, I feel like magic is not like I'm going to play test for a week so that I can go to this one tournament and try and win that tournament. Magic to me is this big, long session where over the course of it, I am learning things as I go. And if I'm doing my job and learning more things, then eventually nice things will happen and I will win the occasional tournament. Jerry, what are your goals as a pro Magic player? Well, <laughs> I did I did kind of famously say that I had like nothing really left to prove. And this was this was I think like shortly before I went to Wizards. Uh I was like kind of in a weird place with Magic. Uh I had I had a pretty good year. I had my first pro tour top eight. Uh, I was in a position where I thought I could hit platinum, which is kind of like the dream. You know, you get a bunch of notoriety and a bunch of appearance fees. Like, the money is nice, but, like, you get grouped into this echelon of players. And I fell short of that. And that was ultimately why I went to Wizard. And my my goal now, I don't know, it's, I, I still want to just, like, do better and continue improving things, continue learning things. Uh, I want to continue writing articles and stuff, but... As far as just, like, actual goals that I've set for myself, I mean, I, I would love to get back to the Pro Tour Top 8 and, you know, actually actually try and win the tournament this time. It's very similar to my PQ thing, where I was just like, okay, you know, my, my goal is to make Top 8, and then I got the Top 8 and I lost. And it's just like, well, if I'm getting up the Top 8, I'm, I'm probably good enough to win, too. So why don't we just do that? So that's kind of where I am right now. People have talked about things like the Hall of Fame and because of my community contributions and, like, my success on uh, just like at the Grand Prix level is pretty, pretty good. And at like the, the Star City thing, like I, I do pretty well at that too, even though that should have like no real factor in the Hall of Fame or whatever. But it's just like I have demonstrated some sort of consistency and knowledge and I've given back to the community. And maybe if I had like two more Pro Tour top eights, I could get in or whatever. 
Uh, that, that is kind of like a dream, sort of like a pipe dream. Like, I don't necessarily feel like uh, it is within my grasp at this moment, but I'm certainly working towards it, and that would be excellent if I could just always be qualified for pro tours and uh, just, like, be in that group of players. You know, I think it would be really cool, and I think it would be the thing that I could point to as the result of all of my time and dedication in this game. Like, that is, that is something easy to point to, and that would be nice. But uh, in in the short term, I'm basically just trying to do what I was talking about, where it is a long session, and I'm just trying to improve as a player. And if if nice things happen, then cool. But uh, I don't have any expectations or necessarily any hard goals. You said earlier that to get to that top echelon of players would be just a great goal. Are there some Magic players that you would dread to play against at a tournament? Uh, not really. I mean, I I've I've played against some of the world's best. And I have won against some of them. I've lost against some of them. Like, I, I definitely know I can hold my own. Uh, I would not necessarily put myself in the same class as those players. Uh, but at the same time, it's like, I, I know that my edge comes from information and uh, just like deck edge most of the time rather than like actual play skill. Mm-hmm. So I basically hope, I hope that that stuff can carry me and actually give me a shot. But, you know, I've, I've beaten these guys. I've tested with these guys. Like, they they are just humans. They only win like sixty to sixty six percent of the time, you know. And it's like I I also have like a similar win percentage. So it's like they're they're a slight favorite in the coin flip. I'm definitely a dog, but at the same time, you know, it's it's not that big of a deal. But I don't know. I like playing against the good players. It is it is a lot of fun for me. It's a challenge. Uh, I I found myself not really enjoying playing the pre-releases as much these days. But at the same time. Uh, I also just want to play in all the pro tours just because they are so fun and so challenging. So it's yeah. like that's, that's kind of how, how my mind mindset has changed where I am less focused on playing magic for fun or to like grind out, you know, store credit or booster packs or whatever. And I, I'm basically in it for the challenge and to learn something. So uh, there are definitely people where I'm just like, you know, they're a tough opponent. I really respect these guys a lot. And, uh, I would not be surprised if I lost, you know, but at the same time, it's like, bring it on. You know, I want to play against those people. That's awesome. Who's your favorite person to play against? Uh, that's, that's a tough one. Uh, playing against someone is a different experience than like watching them play and, and learning something from them. So lately, uh, I think the person that I've, I've been watching the most, especially since he lives right next to me is Michael Majors. Uh-huh. Uh, we we used to get together and, and play that in my apartment like when a new set came out. Uh and and just like hit it really hard and try and figure out what was going on and stuff and it was a lot of fun. Majors was like a pretty big part of that where he would show up. He basically he basically just like knows the right play. You know, he he just like sees what's going on in the game, knows what kind of uh direction the game is going in, knows how he has to play that, and then it, it's just like seamless. And there are just sequences of turns where like what he is supposed to be doing in the game shifts, and he picks up on that, and he shifts like at the appropriate moment, and it is just like a real pleasure to watch him play because he just almost never gets that stuff wrong. Like his his uh, overall vision of the game and how it's going to play out is basically perfect, and I think that there are very few people that I would actually say that about. Um, as far as people that are not local, and I don't have the pleasure of of watching you know play over my kitchen table or whatever. Uh, Luis is just always a good one. Uh, he is another person that is just a savant. You know, he just he just gets magic. He he gets games in general. He's a very very smart dude. 
Uh, also, just really, really happy. You know, he's not like super serious or yeah. anything at the table. Like you can tell he's having a good time yeah. too, which just makes it really enjoyable for me. And then, uh, as, as far as like super serious people, I guess it would be like Owen Turtonwald is a good one where uh, he he plays. I, I think like mostly ABC Magic. He doesn't get too tricky, but like all the stuff he does is correct, which is awesome. And uh, two Japanese people that I've really been enjoying watching a lot lately are Kentaro Yamamoto and Yuya Watanabe. Yeah, Yuya Watanabe is is phenomenal. Yeah, and he does he does some outside the box stuff too, which I love. I love seeing that. Stuff. That is super cool, Jerry. What advice do you have for new players starting the game? Just figure out how you want to play the game. You know, Magic is is able to cater to a lot of different audiences, and there are some people that like Standard, some that like Legacy, some that like Booster Drafts, some people would just prefer to play EDH, and like all of that is cool. I, I feel like a lot of people are just like, oh, you know, like all my friends play Standard, so I guess like I'm going to have to play Standard, but like I don't really like it. And it's just like, yeah, you don't have to do that. You know, like Magic is very much a customizable game, and just figure out you enjoy doing and just keep doing that because otherwise you're going to get burnt out and stuff and magic is this thing that is ultimately supposed to be fun so figure out what you have the most fun with and just do that what advice do you have for aspiring players be wanting to become pro uh it is it is tough to look at magic and just say i want to be a professional because there are so many steps in between there and it's not something you can rush it is it's not like oh i just need to fix like this one or two one or two things and then i'm there right like you just can't do that. And for me, uh, I, I guess, like, I was successful pretty early, but it was also a lot easier to qualify back. I think uh, Nebraska itself was a particularly soft state. You know, that's where I won my first PTQ. Mm-hmm. And uh, there, there wasn't a ton of talent in the area because most people weren't taking magic very seriously. You know, there, there are guys that like, love magic and would show up. And, you know, we, we just, like, played tested a bunch and studied the format and stuff. And it was just like, the games were still tough and everything, but it was like, it was kind of our turn to win, you know, because we put in the most preparation. Right. Uh, but nowadays, it's just like everyone has access to so much information and all the good decks are mostly figured out. And it's really tough to get an edge in a tournament. So, I don't know, you, you just have to work really hard. Like, that's, that's basically all you can do because all the information is out. It wasn't like back in the day where you're playing field and it's just like, you know, what cards are good? Like, how should we split our sealed decks? And that information was just not there. Or like, you know, how, how should we booster draft? What are the pick orders? No one knows. Interesting. You just had to do all the work and figure it out yourself. But now it's like, there are so many websites that you can go on and probably find this information. So like, everyone has access to this and, Everyone is kind of on the same playing field from the get-go. So it is, it is just really dark, really hard. It is really difficult. And you just have to keep working at it, you know? Like, I would say set small goals, start there, but also just, you know, keep in mind that it is one big learning experience. And I truly believe that. Like, there are, there are a lot of things that I think I would say are player-specific. You know, when someone is like, what the heck should I play this weekend? It's like, well, man, that's kind of up to you because I don't know your play style. I don't know what decks that uh, you're really good with or what decks you play really well. And I don't know how well you know the format and stuff. Uh, I, like, all that stuff is very player-specific, and this learning thing is not, I don't think. I think this is like a lesson for everyone where you just have to be patient, work on yourself, work on your game, you know, devote as much time as, as you possibly can, as much as you want to, but uh, it is not going to happen quickly, most likely. Uh, there are some people that are just gifted 
natural talents for these sorts of things, just for gaming in general. And then there are the people who I think are like myself who have just had to work really hard, you know, and I know that everyone wants to think that they're just gifted and if they just like put their mind to it, like they'll go pro or whatever, but it's, it's so much more difficult than that. And I don't want to discourage anyone because it is definitely doable, you know, like, uh-huh. like, I, like I said, I am, I am some kid who basically had no gaming background whatsoever. And I had, I was surrounded by smart people, definitely, who taught me to see stuff, but I am where I am because I am na- I'm not naturally gifted. Like, I've worked hard. And if I can do it, basically anyone can do it. But it is not going to happen over Wise words from Jerry Senpai. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry, you recently started a new podcast called GAM Game with Michael Majors and Andrew Brown. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so... I've wanted to do podcasts for a while. I always enjoy doing podcasts uh-huh. because I, I just I just enjoy talking about magic so much. And then if it gets posted online and other people get to listen to it and they like it, that's awesome. But yeah, I was like, you know, I enjoy doing this a lot. Why don't I just do it? But it was kind of similar to the other stuff that we were talking about where it's like, I, I don't have a ton of time. You know, I, I really don't have a lot of hours of work. Like I don't necessarily work like 40 hours a week, but I kind of work like 100 hours a week, if you think about it. So I really don't have a lot of time, but uh, I I found a way to make it work. You know, it's like, look, I can do this. We can can set aside like a couple hours every week and actually make it happen. I think the inspiration was finding two people that I think I meshed with really well. I think there are are certain things that are in the back of my mind kind of at all times. And it's just like, you know, who are the people that I would like to work with for a pro team. Like, if I could draft my own pro team, like, what would that look like or whatever? Yeah. And if I could have my own pod, if I could have my own podcast, what would that look like? And then finally, I met Michael Majors a long time ago when he was kind of just like a small child. Uh-huh. And we got a little bit closer within the last couple of years. And then eventually we, we both basically just like moved to Roanoke at the same time. And since then, we've been pretty close. We've been working on decks together. I think we mesh really well. And then uh, this other kid, Andrew Brown, just kind of like showed up out of nowhere and he just gave me like, okay, so we played against him in a team Grand Prix. It was the last round and we could have drawn in some money, but we had a rough day too. And we're just like, no, we, we want to play. We need this. We need to feel something, right? So it's like, I sit down or like our team sits down, Andrew's team sits down. And I think we both know that we could just draw in the money. If we play, the winner gets like, you know, 200 bucks, and the loser gets nothing. And if we draw, we both get 200 bucks, right? So it's just like, EV is much better for us to draw, but neither of us asked the other team if they want to draw. Like, both teams just wanted to play, which I thought was really cool. Uh-huh. And it gets to a point where, like, I play a morph, and my opponent is Andrew. His teammate looks over and says, that morph is Ice Feather Aven. Andrew immediately says, I know and then just, like, kills me a couple turns later. And it was the type of stuff where I'm just like, who are these guys? Like, how did they possibly know that? And just, like, they they really, really impressed me. Like, they were so good uh, at Limited, which is just kind of rare these days, too. And I was just like, okay, I gotta keep note of of these guys, because they are, like, scary good. Uh, And then, a few months later, unsurprisingly, Andrew won a Grand Prix. Uh, in in Denver with Blue Black Control, and I wrote a little piece about him in my article that like had that story, and I was just like, I knew this guy was good. Then he won the Grand Prix, 
you know, like it, it feels right to be validated and just like, you know, keep doing what you're doing. It was just like, had some words of encouragement for, for like Andrew, Eugene Wong, and, uh, JC Tao, who is, who is their third. So then Andrew, I think, sent me a message after that and was like, hey man, you know, thanks for the kind words. And I was like, yeah man, you're welcome. Like you're, you're scary good at magic. Like, <laughs> I hope you get to play again so I can learn something from you. And then, yeah, we, we hung out a couple times at various tournaments, and then uh, they had their their thing where they just dominated Pro Tour Oath with their all-dropping deck, and Andrew made the top eight, JC won the tournament, and it was just like, man, these guys are good. They're just so freakishly good, and I just, I want to learn from them, you know? So, I don't know, me, me Andrew, and uh, Michael all have a pretty good time together, and I think the last Pro Tour, like, Andrew and Michael had not met but they're on the same team, like Michael and Joey East West Bowl. And I was like, no, you guys need to hang out. Like, you guys are definitely going to get along. And they just hit it off right away. And then Andrews just was like, you know, we're all hanging out together and he's like, why don't we do like a podcast or something? Is that crazy? And I'm like, no, that sounds awesome. That is amazing. Yeah, that's basically like my long-winded thing about this. Like, magic is great. People are great. You meet all sorts of awesome people. And you, you just end up finding the people that like, you know, kind of like fit perfectly where you thought that, like, there was an empty space before, you know? You just, like, find someone that just, like, fills that void, and that's awesome. So I was like, yes, we definitely can do this, but, like, you know, what should we do? Like, we're all, you know, fairly competitive Magic players. I would say that we're all, like, rather spiky, you know? When we don't mind playing the best deck, and we our, our number one goal is kind of to win, uh, aside from, you know, just, like, learning and getting better at Magic. So it's like, well, why don't we just do a podcast about that sort of stuff? You know, like those sort of topics, because there's really not a podcast out there that's doing that right now, or certainly there's not a saturation of them. That is so cool. Uh, we we actually just shot our third episode before I'm doing this podcast with you. So I think it went really well. People are enjoying it so far, uh, especially the people who have been like, you know, we have needed this. We didn't know we needed this. But we do need this. And that is really cool. Like, I'm, I'm glad that our plan kind of came to fruition and we're providing something that wasn't necessarily there before. How do you, is it, is it GAM or is it game or what is the it, title of your podcast? Game. Okay. So we're, we're looking for a name and I, I just got like this really silly idea. I was like, okay, we do anything with our initials, you know? And then I was like, Jerry, Andrew, Michael, that's spelled GAM. If we had an E, if we had an E, we could we could just call it game. And I was like, dude, I can just call it game anyway. I can call it whatever I want, you know. So it is it is the game podcast, and game just has you know the the hard A sound it is our initials, and that's basically it. I, I thought it was a pretty cool name. I love it. I get it now. It's Jerry Andrew Michael. That's so clever. I try. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so it is just about competitive magic. It's about winning. It's about Good play, technical play, it's about leveling up. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, I don't think we've really figured out what our average show is going to look like. Like, I don't think that we have a, a default outline or anything. Uh, there, are, there are certain things that we like to do, like, at, at the end of the show, we're, we're going to, like, figure out some game to play, basically, because we also want it to be, like, kind of fun and lighthearted, you know? And uh, the first couple episodes, we did this thing that Majors and I did on a road trip with Todd Anderson, where... The, the first person, say, like, me, I ask Todd a question about Michael, and then Todd answers it, and then Michael tells us whether or not he was right or not. And it was just, like, a way to get to know each other a little bit better. So I, I haven't known Andrew for that long, and Michael and Andrew are, 
you know, fairly recent friends also. So I was just like, hey, let's do that. Because we are the game podcast. You might as well play a little game on the show. And it's, it's like this really heavy, like hard-hitting, serious stuff. And then, you know, I want to mix in some light stuff with it afterwards. All right, I got some rapid-fire questions for you, Jerry. Let's do it. Okay. Number one, of the five colors of magic, white, blue, black, red, and green, what is your favorite color and why? Uh, Blue for the nostalgia. Like, basically, once I got to a point where I was like, hey, I'm pretty good at this game, you know, like, I should I should try these more difficult decks, I really gravitated towards control decks, like things like uh, Never Go and, and stuff like that, and I just, I really enjoyed it. I, I like having answers to everything, and I like feeling like the game was basically just like trying not to die, you know, and then eventually finding some way to kill my opponent, and Blue just really facilitated that. Drawing cards is always fun and stuff, and while I don't play those decks very much these days, uh, I definitely do enjoy playing them. Very, very cool. Okay, yeah, so you're definitely a blue mage. Um, what's your favorite blue card? Ooh, see, my favorite cards were, were always the ones that I was, like, splashing in my blue deck as a necessity. Oh, interesting. Which ones were those? So, uh, Nether Spirit is a good one. Uh, I really like Gaia's Blessing, just as this inevitable win condition where you could just like shuffle back in all your removal and just eventually deck your opponent. Uh, Swords of Slashers is not like my, my favorite card or anything, but it is definitely a good example of that, like a card that I would play for necessity. Uh, as far as like favorite blue cards, actually more of a recent one, which is Repeal. I really like that card a lot. Oh, Repeal. Interesting. I love how I was like, what are your favorite blue cards? And you named like a black card, a white card, and a green card. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the, the blue cards are great, like Counterspell's awesome, Vector Fiction, Accumulated Knowledge, Brainstorm, stuff like that, but it's like, uh, those those are, to me, just like, all about what blue is. They're just like the epitome of that, and I like the concept more than any any individual piece, but the things that I really enjoyed were solving the problems that blue had by implementing other colors into it. Oh, really interesting. Okay, so you like the concept of blue, but blue can't stand on its own. It needs another color to really solve some of the problems that blue is lacking. Exactly. And I, I really enjoy the problem-solving aspect of magic and, and deck building in general. So uh, that that was probably it. It was just like, oh, man, well, like, once they start playing with another spirit, just all my problems are solved. And that's great. But uh, yeah, for me, it is just like the deck building thing. And I gravitate towards blue deck kind of because like that's the secondary thing. It's just like I like playing from behind. I just find that fun. and. Uh, but the, the the deck building thing is just like so much more of a big deal to me. Would you then consider yourself like more of like a control player? Uh, I definitely enjoy playing control, and unfortunately, it is not super viable these days just because of how the design has shifted for Magic cards lately, uh, which is like a whole other discussion. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, right now I'm basically just trying to play good decks because I want to win, and uh, yeah. That, that just means that I don't get to play control as much as I would like because it's not great, but I will still try and play it in every opportunity. Like, uh, I got to play like Cobblade and, uh, Flash and stuff in, in semi-recent standard formats. And whenever it is even remotely viable, I will go on playing it. So what advice would you give to players who like to play control, but they really need to shift and play the best deck in the format, which could be aggro or mid-range? Well, I, I don't think that telling someone to play the best deck instead of their pet deck is necessarily good advice because someone might 
just have higher EV, like a, a better chance of doing well in the tournament if they are playing a deck they know and are good with. Uh, there, there might be a time where, like, the control deck is so bad and it's so poorly positioned against the format that playing it is just kind of suicidal. And in that case, I, I would try and help them find something that was similar to their play style or uh, maybe something where the, they can just, like, transition some of their skill set into. So it's like, well, maybe if you like playing control and you like having a bunch of decisions every turn, you like playing the these cards with velocity, like a lot of, you know, cheap cantrips and stuff like that. And like, you know, maybe you should try and find some sort of tempo, tempo deck, or, you know, maybe you like playing from behind like I do. And it's like, well, maybe you should try like this mid range deck or like this, it's not like counter spell heavy control deck, but maybe like black control deck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Jerry, question number two, if you could change something about magic, the gathering, what would it be? So I've answered this question a couple of times uh, on, on different podcasts. And I, the thing that I like the most, like my favorite answer, is just get rid of the discard space. I just think it's pointless. There is no no reason for it to be there. I think it's just like an extra rule that's kind of like bogs down this game. And I think Magic has enough complexity that I think that this one can safely go. Uh, but one of my newer answers has just been a focus on improving Magic Online and just making that program a little bit better, a little bit more user-friendly. Uh, I haven't wanted to play Magic Online in a very long time, and I used to just play a ton. Oh, yeah. Okay, so the interface really is, like, kind of dissuading you from playing, really bogs you down. I mean, especially for you as, like, a pro player where you play a lot of Magic Online. If it were, like, a slick program, then, you know, I would I would probably play a lot more. Uh, they're, they're certainly making good steps. You know, like, the move to leagues over daily events and stuff is certainly a step in the right direction and you know kudos to them for that i know that they are trying i know that it's hard you know like i i work through wizards i get it i i, I understand like a lot of the problems that they're facing and stuff but at the same time it's like that it just needs to change what are some of the problems that they are facing because i don't really know uh so right now magic online has a very large memory leak issue where if you leave it running for a couple hours, eventually it's just hogging a lot of resources, and you basically have to restart it if you want to keep playing, uh, unless you have like a very high-end machine. That is one of them. Trading is not super intuitive. Uh, I don't know. Just some of the, the decisions that are made are, are very strange as far as just like uh, the Magic Online Championship, uh, where now all the platinums are queued for like the Magic Online Championship finals and. If you if you are a regular person who plays Magic Online that wants to get into the Magic Online Championship Finals, you have to like top four or something, some enormous tournament like these seven hundred player tournaments to get in there. And then it's like you do all this work to try and qualify for this tournament. It's a big deal, and then you're just like in this tournament with thirty platinum pros. It's pretty absurd. It's like half platinum pros and half just like guys who ground into the tournament. Oh my gosh! And then a uh, top two queue for like the year end. Uh, Magic Online Championship, and more often than not, it, is, it has been pro players, I think. Uh, and I, I feel like that's just a bad direction because I would want to reward the people that are, are still there playing Magic Online, even though it's a little bit rough, you know? But instead, it's like, oh, they want to give, like, some added benefits of Platinum or whatever, or they want the Magic Online Championship Series to be, like, a little bit more appealing and, like, something that people pay attention to. So, like, okay, we'll try some big names in there and get all these guys qualified. But at the same time, it's kind of like uh, 
a slap in the face to the people who have been with your program for so long and are working their butts off just like grinding trying to get into these tournaments and trying to qualify for them and stuff because you're you're giving half the slots to these dudes that like maybe haven't even played Magic Online in the last three months, you know? So it's just kind of crazy. I didn't even know that. That's really interesting. So yeah, you're right. You're talking about like equity in the community and like letting a particular community or a segment of the community flourish and do what they're doing. So um, rewarding the players that want to play Magic Online and are grinding out Magic Online instead of just shoehorning a whole bunch of Platinum pros that are already Platinum into this thing. Yeah, yeah. So I, I haven't really liked that change. I mean, I know the I know the Platinums have basically liked it because they get to play the high equity tournament effectively for free. But it's like, you know, come on, like, there, there are people that just play so much Magic Online and get get so little in return. It's just like, oh, you know, like thanks, thanks for playing our program, but you know, where where like the rewards? Where like do we have like a, a frequent flyer club or anything like that? You know, that would be great. Yeah, so interesting, Jerry. Question number three: If you could give something to every Magic player, what would it be? Uh, Beta Black Lotus. <laughs> okay, <laughs> why? No, I don't know. I I, I think that the the best gift to give would be something that allows people to not take their losses as harsh. Because I think uh, one of the things that really bugs people is just like getting mana screwed or mana flooded or like your opponent that's the perfect card to beat you or whatever and that can be really frustrating sometimes. You know, I've, I've seen people like get really frustrated with magic and end up quitting because of that. It's like, you know, it's just really sad because magic is this great game and it should be fun and I hate to see people disappointed by just, you know, some variance that is kind of necessary with the game, honestly. You know, like, you need the game to be a little bit more exciting, and you you have those things just like, you know, your draw step every turn. Like, what am I going to draw? Like, this this could be anything. This could be a game changer. It could just be a land, you know? But, like, having you draw a land kind of, like, equalizes out for when the times when you actually do draw, like, your one outer card and you get, like, super excited. You know, like, the variance, I think, is, like, an actively good thing to have in Magic. And it would be kind of a boring game without it. Uh, and, I don't know, people people just end up on the, the wrong side a little bit too often, and it's, it's hard to handle because, you know, they want to feel like their good decisions are rewarded. And then for you to play well and then just get punished for that by drawing, like, your seventh land in a row or whatever, it's just really frustrating. Uh, you know, I just don't want to see people getting too upset over stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, yeah, reducing variance or just kind of helping uh, players not get so negatively affected by certain things. Yeah, I, I remember I was in, like, a top eight. <laughs> this was, like, the weekend of, like, the Pro Tour or something like that, Pro Tour Shadows of Innistrad. And then I was playing, like, Black-White Control, and then that was when the Tokens deck kind of made their debut, but nobody was playing Tokens yet. Yeah. I was just concerned about Mono-White Humans, so I get into the top eight. I went undefeated in the Swiss, so I was just, like, super excited. I just, like, crushed all my opponents. And then when I got to, like, the quarters, I was like, this is going to be awesome. And then I was, like, played against the Mono-White Humans, and I already beat uh, Blue-White Humans and Mono-White Humans in the Swiss. So I was just like, no, I got this. I can do this. And it was basically, like, multi-six, multi-five, don't see languish, go to game two, multi-six, multi-five only see two lands i was just like oh you've got to be joking me like it was a miserable feeling but still it happens yeah that's tough you know you you put in that work like you you played a deck that you thought would be good against humans you got your expected matchup right it's like you're supposed to get rewarded that spot yeah (laughs) the variance kind of takes over and it's just like you know why do i even bother right like i'm gonna have this tournament where i do most things correctly and then i just get punished by having to mold the five twice but that that kind of sucks but 
Uh, I don't want to remove that, to be fair. You know, like, I'm sure your opponent was like, oh, man, I just, like, got really lucky to beat my bad matchup. You know, I'm sure that, like, for as unhappy or frustrated you were, like, they were an equal amount of happy. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it is a double-edged sword, and it, it's kind of kind of funny that people think that they're the protagonist in their story. You know, it's like, it, it's very easy to get caught up in, in what's going on with your life and how you're feeling and stuff. But, like, man, your, your opponent probably just loved it. Jerry, number four, what do you see in the future of Magic the Gathering? Hopefully Magic gets into the world of esports and we get, you know, like some really cool like shout casting, explosions on the screen and like money's raining from the sky and life is great. You know, like I, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's actually what happens in, in other esports or whatever, but that's kind of how I picture it. No, I mean, I, I think it would be great if Magic were in a place where uh, the coverage was easily accessible and you, if you were even just like kind of a new player and you, you showed up to see what this pro tour thing was all about. And it's like, Oh, Hey, I recognize that guy. Or like, Oh, I can tell like what card he's playing with or like what his strategy is, what he's trying to do. And then you just kind of like get hooked in from there. You know, I, I would love if that were the case at some point. And magic is, is a tough game to watch. It is even tougher to watch when you're not super enfranchised and don't know the text on all the cards and like the game moves kind of slow. I, I would love it if Magic would get to a place where it was the thing that like a hundred thousand people tuned in to watch or like a million people or whatever. I, I just feel like Magic is a great game and uh, I feel like there is a an alternate universe where it, it could be that sort of thing where like Magic could have been the thing that like headed up esports instead of like the thing where like esports shows up and Magic's like, wait, why aren't we up there? You know, what's going on? It's pretty easy to watch like. League of Legends, pretty easy to watch, like, Counter-Strike. Like, I don't play either of those games, but I can watch, like, the LCS very easily and get really excited about it in, like, 15 minutes or, like, less. Yeah, and that, that's awesome. Yeah. That is so cool. And then you watch, like, the Pro Tour, and you're like, what is going on right now? Like, what does Seasons Past even do? And you're just, like, confused. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so. As far as the future, I, I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but I'm I'm hopeful that a lot of cool stuff is going to happen. That's about it. Yeah, for sure. And my last rapid fire question for you, Jerry, is that do you have any asks or requests of the audience? Uh, not really. I mean, the audience can freely do as they please. But uh, if you want to check out more stuff from me, I mean, I have a weekly article and video series on StarCityGames.com. I am very active on Twitter. I am at G3RRYT, and I just started this podcast thingy, and we just did our third episode, and I thought this was our best one, and I think we're really getting into it. So uh, we are on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes. Uh, I applied to be on MTG Cast. Uh, I've not checked my email in a while because I've been busy, so I should probably get on that. And uh, we're on Twitter for that also. It is at the GAM podcast. And uh, maybe at some point I'll look into doing like some Patreon stuff too. But uh, for now, it is basically just like I want to prove that I can actually go out and do this and have it be consistent, both just in that it comes out every week and that the quality is good or at least good enough. You know, uh, until then, I don't feel all that comfortable asking people to pay money for the service that may or may not be good. You're on Facebook as well. Are you on like Instagram or any other social media or anything? Not really. I'm I'm kind of like an old man set in my ways. All this technology <laughs> sort of scares me. Uh, I I am on Facebook. Uh, I I mostly just have 
you know, the, the people that I met in real life, basically, as the people that I accept. I do have a fan page, but I am not super active on it, which is unfortunate, and I should, you know, actually step that up and do that. Basically, if you want to get a hold of me, the best way to do it is Twitter. Well, we will have uh, links in the show notes at kitchentablemagic.org, and I'll definitely link to the game podcast. I've already heard the first two episodes. Very entertaining, very, very good. So yeah, I'm really excited for what you're doing, Jerry. You're just a great player. You're a great teacher of the game, and you're really a gentleman and a scholar. I've seen you in no, so many occasions. Also, like you talking to me, chatting with me at GPs and at like local tournaments and things like that. You're just a great steward of the community. So I really want to acknowledge you for that and really thank you for all of your contributions to the Magic community. I appreciate that, Sam. Thank you so much. Jerry, thank you so much for being here today on Kitchen Table Magic. Do you have any parting words for our listeners? So Magic is probably the greatest thing that ever happened to me in my entire life. I, I owe basically everything to magic. It is my job, it is where my friends come from, it is what I think about and do basically all the time. So uh, if you're listening to this, you also like magic, and I recommend that you continue playing magic the way that you want to do it. Uh, enjoy it for what it is, have fun, and that's it. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jerry Thompson. Go say hi to Jerry on Twitter at G3RRYT. Also check out his new podcast with Andrew Brown and Michael Majors. It's called The Game Podcast. That's G-A-M for Jerry, Andrew, and Michael. It can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And shout out to Andrew Brown for making the top eight at Pro Tour Eldritch Moon. Coming up in the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic... Uh, I really started Mythic MTG Tech because I wanted to learn how to do video editing, and my day job is around law. I wanted to do something different while learning, so I went back to this hobby that I really enjoy that I had recently gotten back into, because I actually quit when I went to law school, and then I got back in when I saw people playing EDH, and I just wanted to talk about some of the older cards and the history, and the channel took off. Once people started commenting on videos, I was addicted. This is nothing like other forms of media where you talk at people. You get to talk with people and create community. Once you've got that dialogue going, you just can't stop posting videos. And that's where I've been for the last few years. I'm talking with Brian Rowe of the YouTube channel Mythic MTG Tech. Brian is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to all things MTG. He does set reviews, financial analysis, strategy, deck techs, everything. Brian is also an avid legacy and vintage player. Yikes, you should see some of his top or bottom trades. Let's just put it this way, it's insane. All on the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic with Brian Rowe of Mythic MTG Tech. Well, you made it to the end of another episode of Kitchen Table Magic, and here is where the sponsors go. And since we don't have any sponsors, I'm just going to talk about one of my favorite cards in this standard season, Gideon, Ally of Zendikar. For two white-white, Gideon comes down with four loyalty. And this is what I love about Gideon. You plus one, he attacks, turns into a 5-5 human soldier ally creature with indestructible that's still a planeswalker, prevent all the damage, Gideon doesn't care, Honey Badger doesn't care, and that's cool and all because it really closes down games. It really punishes players if they don't have any blockers out. What's great about Gideon is that he has a zero ability, which has put a 2-2 white knight ally creature token onto the battlefield. It protects itself, it's fantastic. 
But one of my favorite things about Gideon, Ally of Zendikar, is the minus four. You get an emblem with creatures you control get plus one, plus one. Talk about old school glorious anthem throwback. I just love anthem effects. So spoiler alert, if you see me at GP Portland, I'm probably playing Gideon, Ally of Zendikar. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Season 1 of Kitchen Table Magic. I'd really like to hear from you, the fans, about what you think about the show. Send me a tweet, at KTM Podcast. If you're listening through iTunes, Google Play, or your podcast app, leave me some feedback with a review. If you're listening on SoundCloud, leave a comment on the track. Visit our website, kitchentablemagic.org, to sign up for my newsletter, and of course, email me anytime with your questions. My email is sam at kitchentablemagic.org. And if you're enjoying the show, please support us at patreon.com slash kitchentablemagic. All of your donations go towards making this show better for my listeners and fans. And of course, all Patreon supporters get very special perks. And remember, if you like what you hear, please share Kitchen Table Magic with a friend. <laughs>